up world. Past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, you are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest installment of the Locked on Blazers 2019-2020 season wrap-up. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at their season in Portland. Today's focus, Hassan Whiteside. We'll look at his performance this past season, review where he landed in terms of the best case and worst case scenarios that I laid out a year ago heading into the start of training camp. And finally, we'll close the show looking ahead to the upcoming season and whether Hassan Whiteside will be back for a second campaign with the Blazers. We're doing this for every player on the roster. Like I said, uh, this is our fourth installment of it uh, sort of the f- functions kind of like exit interviews which the Blazers didn't hold this year where we look at the what the players did and what they'll do in the future so if you missed any of them there's three others waiting in your feed there'll be more coming next week uh, it's a great jumping off point if you want to send this to a Blazer fan looking for some content in the offseason they're evergreen they'll last for months I hope they function as a way for you to sort of take stock of the season as a whole through the lens of each individual player's performance but let's get into Hassan Whiteside After arriving in Portland via trade, Hassan did what he does and got busy in the box score virtually every night he stepped on the court in 67 games, including 61 starts prior to the Orlando restart. Whiteside put up 15.5 points, 13.5 rebounds, and a league-best 2.9 blocks per game. He shot 62% from the field, hilariously made four of seven three-pointers, and hit just under 69%. Nice of his free throws. He had eight games with at least 20 rebounds. He had two 30-point games, including perhaps his best performance of the season at Staples against the Lakers at the end of January when he had 30 points, 13 rebounds, and five blocks, including hitting a game-sealing baseline jumper to push the Blazers past the Lakers immediately following Kobe Bryant's passing. Whiteside also set a career-high in assists when he dished out seven dimes and went over the Kings in December, and he came up two points shy of a triple-double with an 8.15 rebound, 10-block game against the Bulls in November. In a year where the Blazers dealt with numerous injuries, Whiteside was mostly very durable. He played 30 minutes a night and only missed seven of the team's 67 games. But his role changed when the season restarted in Orlando. He became a bench player. He initially shifted to backup center when Yusuf Nurkic returned to the lineup for the bubble games. And during those six seeding games in Orlando, Whiteside missed two, you'll recall, dealing with a left hip issue. I think his whole left leg was kind of bothering him during during the Orlando restart, but he missed two of those games. So in six seeding games, he averaged 8.8 points, six rebounds, and one and a half blocks in 16.3 minutes a night, a major cutback in his minutes. He wasn't nearly as good as a reserve, whether it was roll, the bulky left leg, or unlucky small sample size. But he was legitimately awesome in the final seeding game in the bubble when he had 16 points and 9 rebounds against the Brooklyn Nets in 15 minutes. In That was perhaps his most important game of the season. If his best game of the season was against LA in late January, his most important game of the season was that final seeding game against Brooklyn. A must win for the Blazers for Whiteside was very, very good. He was a reserve to open the playoff series once the Blazers locked it up. Started coming off the bench against the Lakers before he got moved to the starting line for Game 3. And for the series, he averaged 6.8 points, 7.0 rebounds, and 2 blocks in 21.6 minutes. He was very good in one extremely brief stretch in the fourth quarter in Game 1 that helped swing the game. He had two incredibly, incredibly important blocks. The first three quarters of that game, 
I don't think he was that good. But when the game was on the line, Whiteside was fantastic in Game 1, helping the Blazers win their only playoff game of the series. And otherwise, other than that brief stretch from the beginning of the fourth quarter to about the five-minute mark, Whiteside was somewhere between totally fine and extremely awful. I would say, on the whole, Whiteside was fine during his lone season in Portland. His first, I should say. He had his moments where he was obviously useful. And for the most part, all season long, he was their best option at center, and it wasn't debatable. He was so much better than their other options, there was nothing to do with him. But he had other times when he was just comically bad. He is slow-footed in pick-and-rolls, and teams could take advantage of that. He is a little bit mechanical on offense, so using him has the release valve for situations where teams double-team doesn't exactly fit perfectly. Those aren't even like the sort of effort things and and focus things that people point to with Whiteside. He just has some actual physical problems with his game. He doesn't have great footwork. He's not an instinctual passer. He's a slow decision maker, and he has slow feet guarding pick and rolls. Those are actual problems with his game. But I think there's other stuff there. From my vantage point, sitting up there on press row and section 113, I've never seen Damian Lillard as obviously frustrated with a teammate during the game, like during the action of the game, as he appeared to be with Whiteside a handful of times in November. When Carmelo Anthony arrived, he did his fair share of yelling at Hassan Whiteside too. These are just things I observed from far away. You could probably see him on TV too. I don't have any insight into those relationships. When I've asked, uh, players have not, you know, said we don't get along or here's the beef or here's what's wrong. And publicly, Dame has talked about working with Hassan Whiteside and getting the most out of him and with nary a negative word. So if there was real beef beyond just regular demonstrative frustration, we may never know. And frankly, it's not particularly important. What's important though is that there were times when Hassan Whiteside's teammates were frustrated with him, just like you, the viewer, may have been frustrated with him. I personally wasn't a Whiteside believer before he arrived, and watching him all year didn't change my opinion. The Blazers were a bad rebounding team and a terrible defensive team with him in the lineup all season. That has way more to do with the whole roster than it does Hassan, and I don't mean to pin those things on him. He didn't sign Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver. But if you fail to drag the team out of a cellar, with your purported best skills, well, you're not going to win over this particular podcaster, I guess. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this rant, on the whole, Whiteside was fine. Certainly not the cause of the Blazers' problems, but also very clearly not a solution. And that's kind of where I end up landing on Whiteside looking back at his, his season. I don't think he was bad. I think... um I think he was frustrating. I think he has limited, he has some actual limitations in his skill set that hold him back a little bit. I also think he was a Blazers' best center. I think there were times when they really, really relied on him and maybe asked him to do too much. And that's a problem of roster construction more than it is Whiteside. But I also think that he just proved that he has, that those limitations are real and that he's not going to make some massive leap at this stage in his career he kind of is who he is a theme in these wrap-ups perhaps getting a bunch of dudes who are 29 to 30 years old ends you with a lot of finished products so while i wasn't a white side believer and i certainly wasn't converted to being more of a white side believer during the 70 games i watched him play this season i don't mean to say that he's some sort of like terrible unplayable player he's just not the solution the blazers needed That might be an indictment of Damian Lillard, who reportedly was 
major proponent in trading for Hassan Whiteside this offseason. It might be an indictment of Neil Olshay, who pulled the trigger on that trade, but I don't think it's a major indictment of Hassan, the player himself. I don't think he underachieved this year. He just achieved at his level, and it wasn't quite good enough to save the Blazers when they needed it. In the second segment, I want to talk about best case and worst case scenarios. I laid these out for every player who was on the roster back in training camp. So we'll look at where Hassan Whiteside fell in those artificial polls that I set a year ago. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food to your door right now. Ordering is easy. All you do is open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. And if you are craving it, chances are it's on DoorDash because they've got over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. So you can support your local go-tos or you can hit those big national chains. Whatever you're craving, they've got it on DoorDash. And right now, my listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. One more time so you don't forget it. That's LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right. So we talked about Hassan Whiteside's 2019-2020 season. Now I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about the best case and worst case scenarios I laid out back in September. I did these heading into the season, called them season outlooks. They were little capsules on each player on the roster. And I kind of explained the best case scenario and the worst case scenario for each guy. Uh, these were without within reason and without injury. So I try to say, here's the best case scenario if they're on the court. Here's the worst case scenario if they're on the court. So I'm going to play you that now and we'll see where Whiteside landed based on where my thoughts were more than a year ago when I recorded this last September. So the best case scenario for Son Whiteside is that the 2016-17 version of him returns. That's when he was a defensive force. He led the league in rebounds per game. He led the league in blocks per game. And he earned himself a $100 million contract off the strength of that season. So the best case scenario is that guy returns. A defensive force who leads the league in blocks, blocking over three and a half a game, and anchoring a top-flight Blazers defense. Uh, that would be a guy who could erase a lot of the perimeter question marks in the Blazers defense by becoming one of the top rim protectors in the league. And, and if nothing else, if he doesn't block shots... A guy who is engaged on defense and deters people from driving to the rim. If you think the Blazers' perimeter defense dropped off by what they did this summer, the addition of Whiteside and this best-case scenario version of him kind of covers up some of those issues. And offensively, the best case for Hassan Whiteside is he gets back to making free throws at a reasonable level. He can't shoot 45% from the free throw line. He's almost unplayable at that rate. You can foul him every time he touches the ball. So he gets back to making free throws. I don't think he needs to make 80% and become this ace of the free throw line, but he shot 70% for an entire season two years ago. If he can get back to that level, that's the best case scenario for him. And in addition to that, offensively, he becomes a vertical threat in the pick and roll game. A guy who can roll hard to the rim, catch lobs, and be uh, create that vertical space above the rim as a lob threat that the Blazers haven't had in years. Maybe since J.J. Hickson when the Blazers were truly bad during Dame's rookie season. And additionally, Whiteside is efficient in limited post-touches. Why I want to emphasize limited is because there's not a best-case scenario for the Blazers where Hassan Whiteside posts up a lot. There is a best-case scenario when Hassan Whiteside can 
bully little guys, can make sure if they try to put a power forward or, or a, a stretchy four on him or a bad switch, that when he gets into the post, he's efficient and smart and bullies people who try to take advantage of his, some of his inefficiencies down there. And the last thing I think for best case scenario, Hassan Whiteside, is that he's a minutes eater, that he can stay on the floor for 30 plus minutes a night. Only once in his career has he been a player who averages over 30 minutes a game. He's uh, he's usually been in the high mid to high 20s. But I think for the best case scenario for the Blazers and considering what they're dealing with uh, with the rest of their front line, it's he's a guy who can play 30 minutes a night. And that isn't just conditioning or foul trouble. That's also the ability to stay on the floor defensively when teams go small, when they get rid of traditional centers, or they put floor spacing bigs on there to kind of test his ability to guard away from the rim. He's a guy who can match up with a lot of different... Best case scenario, Whiteside is a guy who can match up with a bunch of different lineup types on the opposing team and play 30 minutes a night every single night. And I think finally what that would mean is that when we get to the All-Star break, the best case scenario for for Hassan Whiteside is that he's the unquestioned third best player on this roster. And you say, this was a good trade because where would where would the Blazers be without him? That's your best case scenario. Here's your worst case. The financially motivated Hassan Whiteside entering a contract year chases stats and remains a rebound magnet without really improving the Blazers' defense. Uh, he chases block shots and values those counting stats over maybe being a useful defensive player and, 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 and actually boosting up the defense in favor of getting the type of numbers that earn you that one final big contract. Also, the worst case scenario for Son Whiteside is that he wants more touches and is a black hole on offense that shoots, like I mentioned, below 50% from the free throw line. A guy you throw the ball into and doesn't move it and takes tough post-ups or just demands post-ups to make him happy the type of guy who needs touches to flourish in an offense where frankly there's a plenty of better guys who can get touches and the worst case scenario is this is sort of the wrap on what's been on Whiteside is that he's inconsistent and that is he has attitude issues and that forces the Blazers either to give up on him or to move Zach Collins to center complicating an already incredibly thin power forward rotation and forcing guys like 39-year-old Pau Gasol and 36-year-old Anthony Tolliver to play huge minutes because they're more reliable than Hassan Whiteside, who's in theory in his prime. And really, if we're getting right down to the brass tacks of worst-case scenario for the Blazers and Hassan Whiteside, it's that in December, there's a watch for when will Yusuf Nurkic be healthy. We're starting a countdown before Christmas, looking for when will Nurk return and save the Blazers because Lord knows they need him because Whiteside is a just black hole and a huge issue. Thank you, Michael, from the past. So I feel like I set the best case scenario bar relatively low for Hassan Whiteside. Maybe that was unfair of me, and I, I still don't think he exactly met it. Uh, he did hit a lot of the things I laid out for him. He shot free throws better. Uh, his counting numbers were pretty good. Uh, you know, led the league in blocks, as I mentioned there. But he didn't drag the Blazers out of the defensive cellar. They were 27th in the league in defensive rating, and that's with him in the lineup pretty much every single game all year long. Now, like I mentioned in the first segment, that's not Hassan Whiteside's fault entirely. 
But you would think that if this guy is a, you know, this defensive dynamo that he fancies himself and maybe some of his uh, most ardent supporters consider him a good defensive player, that the Blazers would have been, you know, 22nd in the league in defense, 20th in the league in defense, not one of the three worst defensive teams in the league. I don't think he totally hit the worst case scenario. I'll do, although I do think he tended sort of more in that direction. I think his, the Blazers were a bad rebounding team, despite him being a really good rebounder in the box score. The Blazers were a bad defensive team, despite him being a shot blocking monster. I don't think he just straight up chased stats. I think he had a tendency to do that. And I think just talking to him, he has a tendency to care about his own personal statistics, maybe more than you would want. But there are plenty of dudes like that in the league. I don't, that's, that is not unique to Hassan Whiteside. But I do think that his. I do think his stats maybe don't tell the whole story. Like his just basic box score stats don't tell the whole story. And I'm not going to bore you with advanced numbers. You could watch him and know that he was limited. For the most part, Hassan Whiteside was fine. But I think he tended toward that worst case scenario where he just wasn't super impactful. And I mean impactful specifically on making the Blazers a high level playoff team or even a playoff team. They were basically a were not probably going to get there without getting healthy. And then they got healthy at the end of the year and they made a, a valiant push to a very entertaining push to make the playoffs. But with Whiteside in the lineup, certainly not his fault, but he's part, like I said, more part of the problem than he was part of the solution. The trend here on these have been most guys have been leaning more towards their worst case scenarios. Uh, I feel like in general, I'm a pessimist. So I thought guys would kind of lean towards their best case scenarios. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. for one, like totally outpassed, out, surpassed it. But the other players I've done, Zach Collins, CJ McCollum, and now Son Whiteside have all kind of kind of tended towards their, their worst case scenario. Collins gets a, an NA, but two starters, CJ and Hassan, the, the graph is headed the wrong way. Perhaps when I do these again, I'll have to set the worst case scenario a little bit lower so guys can finish more cleanly in the middle. I don't think we need to revisit Hassan's polarity much more than that. I mean, we've I laid it out for you in the first segment, and I think listening to Michael from the past talk about where I thought he would finish, it's pretty clear he finished towards that towards that worst case scenario. We don't need to we don't need to dissect it anymore. Let's look ahead. In the third segment, we'll come back and answer the question. Is Hassan Whiteside going to be back for a second season with the Blazers? But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bilt Bar. You know Bilt Bar? It's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's pretty simple. They made a protein bar that tastes delicious. It comes in 18 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got a great texture. Candy bar-like even. If you've eaten other protein bars, you know that they can be kind of dry and gross. That's not these. These taste great. That's their trick. They made delicious protein bars. And in addition, they're a wonderful option for the health conscious among us. The bars are low calorie. They're low sugar. They're high in protein, high in fiber. They're great for the keto diet. You're trying to maintain ketosis? Grab yourself a Built Bar. Take, for instance, the Cherry Barcia flavor. Not only does it have a delightful pun in its name, but it's packed with 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and just 4 net carbs. Does that sound pretty good? We well, can go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKDOWN. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you'll get $10 off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKDOWN, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Lockdown Blazers. And we're still talking about Hassan Whiteside. 
We talked about his 2019-2020 year in review, his first year with the Blazers. We talked about his best case and worst case scenarios, where he landed based on the arbitrary polls I laid out back in September of 2019. But now let's talk about the future. The question that a lot of people have been asking is, will Hassan Whiteside be back? Uh, I think maybe more towards the middle of the year, uh, towards the trade deadline, there was this the speculation that maybe the Blazers would try to trade him. I don't think the the trade market for Hassan Whiteside was particularly robust. I assume that if the Blazers could have um, upgraded the roster by moving him, they certainly would have. That is something that uh, Neil Olshay has not shied away from in the past. In fact, maybe his peak skill is midseason trades to upgrade the roster, kind of erase some of his mistakes and get better for the future. I don't think the trade market was particularly robust. I don't think there was one. So... Then it shifted from will they trade us on Whiteside to will he be back? There were moments, I think, in January and February where a lot of fans, I'm judging this mostly by you guys reaching out to me via Mailbag Monday, were in favor of bringing him back for a second season and saying, this guy's good, look at his blocks, look at his rebounds, where would they be without him? And the truth is, they would be awful without him. I, As much as I have been mean to Hassan Whiteside on this podcast and, and a known hater, the Blazers probably were much better off with him in the lineup than had they just, say, run it back exactly and re-signed Dennis Cantor and had a front line of Cantor and Myers Leonard as their centers with a little bit of Zach Collins. Now, if Collins stays healthy, maybe this totally paints a different picture of how we view the Whiteside deal and all those things, but he didn't stay healthy, and we got a large dose of what Hassan Whiteside would look like playing 30 minutes a night. And the answer was, he looked fine, and sometimes he looked really bad. Sometimes he looked pretty good. But he wasn't like an all-world, game-changing type player. So the question is, will they bring him back? And let's just lay out the sort of particulars here. Whiteside will be an unrestricted free agent, but the Blazers have his bird rights, so they can exceed the salary cap to sign him to a new deal. Uh, but they don't have, he's not a restricted free agent. He Whiteside can choose to sign wherever he wants. Blazers have no way to retain him if he chooses to leave. He's just, it is up to him what he wants to do. But I think we saw what Whiteside as backup looked like. It's hard for me to imagine he signs on to play 16 to 18 minutes a night, which is about what he was playing when he was backing up Yusuf Nurkic in Orlando prior to the playoffs. That said, whomever the Blazers end up with as their backup center to replace Whiteside is likely to be worse, or in the very least, not as good at accumulating stats. So... While I'm not in favor of assigning Hassan Whiteside, and I don't anticipate that the that Whiteside will want this role that he would get in Portland as a backup, I don't think that you are getting necessarily a guaranteed upgrade by replacing him. And in any case, you're not letting him go doesn't create uh, a ton of flexibility and cap space for the Blazers. I can't give you an exact cap figure yet because the league hasn't set one, but it's likely that letting Whiteside walk will leave the Blazers with roughly $8 million in cap space. That's assuming that Ariza is on board. I guess there is a scenario in which Whiteside signs a another one-year deal with the Blazers because of the uh, financial climate and all those things. And he says, I'll play one more year as a backup at this price, and then I'll go you know, hit 2021 free agency. But I don't think, I don't think he, I, I think it makes most sense for all sides to let him walk. I think Hassan Whiteside can go find more minutes somewhere else. And I think wanting to be a contributor is a big part of, of 
how every NBA player views themselves and certainly how he views himself. Like you, everyone wants to play. That's, that's kind of the, how the sport works. And I think if you assume that Zach Collins is healthy, the Blazers can probably use their exceptions and their small amount of cap space that they will briefly have uh, to find a decent backup center who fits that role um, personality-wise a little bit better. As a side note, it's almost like having 35% of your salary cap tied up in two guards under six foot three makes it very hard to build a championship level contender by upgrading the margins. Hmm. 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 Curious. So I think we saw the end of the Hassan Whiteside experiment. I don't think a sign and trade is very likely. That's definitely on the table. That would allow the Blazers to another team to sign Hassan Whiteside and the Blazers to recoup an asset in, in a trade. I can't I don't see that scenario playing out. I mean maybe it does. It just doesn't seem very likely to me. The most recent sign and trades we've seen have mostly happened with high level contracts, like guys signing max deals and players and teams getting something back for um letting, you know, a max level guy go, Kemba Walker, Kevin Durant, those types. I that's not what Hassan Whiteside is. I'll be very curious to see what his market is. But in general, my guess is that we saw the 67 games plus the playoffs, 72 total games of Hassan Whiteside in action. That was it for the for the experiment. That's going to do it for today's show. Like I said, I'm doing a wrap-up of every player on the roster. This is the fourth one we've done. We've got 10 more to come. They'll be coming all next week. Hopefully these player capsules can kind of serve as your off-season prep, remembering what guys did and how they might contribute or if they might contribute next season. It's also a great jumping-off point for new listeners, so be sure, to, be sure to share this podcast or these types of podcasts with your friends. Tell them they can find this podcast wherever they already get them. Just search Locked on Blazers. Be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.